Good day, everyone. I'm your host, James Hicks from Hicks New Media. Welcome to Perspectives and Focus, where we highlight the people, industries, ideas, and technology that are making positive strides within society. Today, we're going to talk about solutions to the systemic problem of well-being within the workplace. Recent studies have concluded that this is a major concern both for the employer and also for the individual employee perspective. But listen, you don't necessarily need a white paper or a scientific study to tell you that. You feel it and see it every day within your surroundings. But what are those detriments to well-being? How does an organization improve employee engagement, reduce stress and burnout, or simply create a more positive and productive work environment? Today's guest will help answer those questions. Genevieve Hawkins is the author of the book, Mentally at Work, Optimizing Health and Business Performance Through Connection. She's a change executive with extensive expertise in leading major change programs in large organizations. We're going to talk about her suggestions for practical, relatable, and scalable guidance that businesses and individuals can take while maintaining that healthy mental state. Folks, let's get into it. Healthy mental state, scalable. Some, some pretty pretty good adjectives. Those are adjectives, right? Genevieve, <laughs> <laughs> how are you today? Should... How are you? I'm it fantastic, is... James. Uh, it, is, am... it, is, it is tomorrow where you are in, in, uh, in Australia. So happy future or back to the future. All, all those good things. I appreciate <laughs> you for joining me here on Perspectives and Focus. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Listen, I, I gave the 30,000 foot kind of overview of kind of who you are, kind of some background in terms of your expertise and what you have done, are doing now. And, and maybe we'll even get into a little bit what you do, will do in, in the future. But if, if I always like to have folks tell their origin story, right? Because it's always best coming from the, the individual themselves. Could you tell folks who Genevieve Hawkins is, please, if you don't mind? I love the whole thing, James, of origin story that I could go in actually a lot of detail about who, who I am in some ways, um, because actually my family origins have also made an influence on what I do. But um, I actually studied as an occupational therapist originally, so worked as an OT within the health system. And from that, has, I've always had this fascination with how people's brains work and what's going on from a mental illness and then mental health perspective. How do we pre you know, prevent mental illness or prevent mental illness from having a significant impact in people's lives? And that's actually then moved on from there. So for me now, and I've, I've moved into a range of different roles from um, helping people get back to work who are injured or ill to then looking at prevention within the workplace and then actually moving on to other major transformation projects. And but my there's still this passion that I have for for looking at how people thrive at work or don't. So I see so many people who are just surviving that are going, I'm just getting there, I'm get into work, I get my work done, I get out, but I don't really love it. And so really for me, writing this book is a labor of love. So I have a full-time executive role and it is in change. So leading major change within organizations. And um, this book was really about saying, how can I actually, to your place, scalable, practical, relatable, 
um, things, um, I think it's my OT background that comes back with those practical <laughs> things, just to help people to go, can we demystify some of what goes on for us all from a mental health perspective and then give some practical ideas for self, for team, for organisations to actually make a difference? Interesting, interesting. Uh, I see folks jumping in the community, uh, asking comments, uh, having comments and questions. So please, if you do have some questions for Genevieve, put a queue in front of it so I can get those queued up and we can uh, go into those most effectively. The reason and the passion project behind writing the book, why, why necessarily was that a passion project? What, what did you see specifically, I guess, in, in your world in your realm that said, listen, someone has to do this. Someone has to write this book. Someone has to come up with these steps, these, these, this, this curriculum and these, these, this kind of mindset, uh, uh, steps that people can take, uh, to do yeah. better and be better within their environments. Why, why did you really feel that you had to do this? I think that there's probably a few layers on it. So you sort of talk about going back to origin story. I'm, hmm. I'm one of nine children. Wow. I'm the eighth of nine children okay. and actually that that's a whole that's a whole podcast that's a whole another story right there we got we got two hours we can go oh. into that one ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> impacted me significantly but actually what i recognized from being one of nine in a large family is that i appreciated community i appreciated what it meant to belong in a large group and how you actually work effectively together to look after one another and do whatever it is that you need to do in the case of a large family make sure the dishes are washed and foods on the table and you know all those sorts of things but um, that then for me reflected when I worked in, coming into lots of workplaces, what I could see was that sense of community and connection was missing. And when that sense of community and connection was missing, you you'd get the same out, the same impacts in terms of what you're trying to achieve within the workplace. And I could see where I could influence and create a level of team and community, what we could achieve but also what wasn't achieved at an individual or group level without that. So that there for me was a, a driving force to begin with of going, if I'm in any role, I want to feel like I belong mm. and I want to create that sense of belonging for others because I know what it means for performance if we've got that. So um, there's been a big driver for that. And then look, there's been a few different events that have happened in my own life with it, but I think a couple of them that were significant um, one of them was that I actually lost one of my, um, one of someone within one of my teams um, to suicide. Mm. And that was a really hard moment for, um, for everyone involved in terms of the impact that it had. And it helped me kind of stop and reflect a bit more on what else can we do as an organisation to actually make a difference in that space. And then um, really actually, no, the final impetus for me was I was moving on from a role in which I was doing a lot in the mental health space into a different transformation role. And my old team was saying, you need to get out what's in your head and put, put it on paper. Because if you want to scale this, because I'd always talked about, I want it, oh, this is big, right? This is, and this is big across the globe. We have some significant challenges. There's a tsunami coming our way of real problems from a mental health perspective. True. And so for me this is about i want to be scalable too in terms of having that level of impact in helping people to understand what to do to make a difference in the um in the organizations because we don't talk about it enough exactly we, we we think and i think COVID's helped a bit in the conversation but it's it's kind of like for quite some time business is kind of business is business and you know individual health is 
that's your problem over there. And that's not our problem where it fundamentally is our problem in business. It's interesting that you bring up COVID because I was going to, I was going to ask about that as well. Right. And, And not to put blame necessarily on COVID, but to say, but that, that was actually the stoppage of the planet. Right. We, we had a, a bunch of time, amount of time that the planet did stop there. And a lot of folks really went through a with, the withdrawal, went through emotional turmoil of not having that community, to use the word that you used as well, not having that connection, not being able to go next door and, and have dinner with their friends. Right. That really took a toll on a lot of folks in terms of um, how they progress throughout the day and how they live their daily lives. And, and, and some folks haven't come out of that yet, right? Even though the world is starting to open up from a mental perspective, let's talk about that from personal and also how they deal with that professionally, because really look, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations have looked at the lockdown and said, we can still do what we need to do on the professional side with you being remote, with you just locked into Zoom or Teams or whatever the case may be, you don't have to come into the office. In fact, many offices have closed. So, I mean, just that aspect, while it sounds um, as, as a positive work perk, right? I can work at home in, in my in my sweatpants and my, my house slippers or whatever the case may <laughs> be, but I no longer have that that camaraderie. I no longer can go and hang out at the water cooler with Genevieve and, and, and have a cup, cup of coffee or something like that. Talk a little bit about a, kind of the, the different aspects of what COVID did to on the professional and the personal lives of the employees and then and then maybe we can go into the employer side but again the individuals what happened during that time when we were locked down and then what what that is what what you've seen happen since that time yeah. at the world stop that's um there's so much there and and so i obviously my accent shows that i'm from australia um <laughs> we i live in melbourne and um okay. I, I don't i think melbourne i don't know whether it still holds the record because i don't know what happened in the last little bit in china but we were holding holding the record for the the city that was the most locked down in the world wow. across COVID. So we have seriously been scarred by, by what has happened in that time. But but I think if if I go back, because talk about just from a base science perspective, just for a moment, um, and maybe they might give it a, a snippet of how I talk within the book, because I try and go, I want you to understand a little bit of the science, but just in a simple way that gives you a sense of how our brains operate. So we have a, it's easy to think about a thinking brain and an animal brain. And so the thinking brain is what we're aware of. So we're we're sitting there going, you know, we know what we're doing. We're in control of everything. The answer is we're really not in control. We have this animal brain. And when we think about the animal brain, this is the part of the brain that helps us do things like breathing and digesting, um, sweating, all of those sorts of things that we don't actually consciously control. But our that part of the brain is absolutely hardwired for our survival. And there are some things within that brain about how it operates for forever and a day that haven't evolved. And I shouldn't say evolved, they, this is a hard wire for survival anyway. So you'd argue it's the right thing for it to do. Our brain looks for pattern. So there is so much information going on in the world that our brain looks for pattern because pattern helps to give us a level of we can clump the information and we don't have to be too overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And when things are different, when things are uncertain, we get more cortisol coming in. So we get stress kind of coming in because the brain at the animal level is in there going, oh, things are different and I can't quite work out what's going on. And we had that on steroids during COVID because, mm-hmm. and in fact, I'd argue we still have it. So this is the problem that we've kind of, in the midst of this space, we're in a, whoa, what's happening? Not too sure. This is right. a new, you know, I, I, my, so our brains were getting overloaded. 
Now, our brains are also hardwired for connection. We recognise that whole concept of safety in numbers. And you go back to length of time, you know, if you're, you're out in the middle of the wild on your own, that's pretty scary. But if you've got a tribe, this is good. This is good. We can protect ourselves. So right at a time where we were um, feeling overwhelmed because everything was different, we were then thrown into an environment where we didn't have all of our tribe. We were, we were isolated in a house, which has a massive, massive effect on how our brains are coping with things. And I think in the shift, and what I'm seeing here across the globe is differences now in terms of how workplaces are adjusting. So there are some workplaces to your point of going, oh, we don't, we don't, we don't need the workplace. Like you can just do your work, work anywhere, it's fine. Um, and there are other organisations struggling with, no, actually we want to demand that people come back. And there's this interesting conversation around will that will people go no i'm not going to come back right um so i don't want to work for you or organizations and certainly our organization that i currently work with is one of those that we go hybrid how do we kind of manage both but within that this we are still hardwired for this connection we can't get rid of that bit and so we will struggle as individuals if we don't feel that complete belonging now we can we can sit there and go our belonging comes from family or friends and and that sense of connection or tribe is is outside of the workplace but when we say that and that's what it is there's only so much that we will give from a performance point of view from work mm, because gotcha. it's just the paycheck it's just a paycheck and that is it so we come in we've got a job we do a task we may not you know when we don't give our love and passion to the task it's it's not always created the best it could be. So we and we miss out then because then we are um, we're going through the motions rather than actually feeling like we're part of something bigger. So how do we get out of this that cycle? Right? Who? Where? Where? I guess. Let me ask this: the onus of the education piece is the onus on. This is how I feel and how I need to be attended to in the office in my professional world or is it really the manage is it managing up or managing down right does the employer or the employee really have the onus on on saying this is how i prefer and perform better within a work environment again because everything has shifted ever since you know the world stopped we throw all the old rules out, out the window because now we have a whole different mentality in, t in terms of how we operate is, is it my responsibility to tell my employer that James needs to only work seven to 12 and, 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 and then, <laughs> then, then, then needs a siesta for, for two, right? You know, again, who, who really should bear the, the burden of explaining that particular mindset mentality and a need within the workspace? So the, I'm going to say it's both people's responsibility, but with a slightly different lens, if you like, to what um, to what you say, because it so at an individual level. So we start at the individual level. I'd go everyone, and and I'd go. This is this is why I wrote the book was, <laughs> because that's it actually where I was goes. Actually. That's exactly where. <laughs> work with me here. I'm, I'm, I'm feeding you. No. <laughs> a lot more detail than you. Um, but but there's there's a level. So at an individual level, we own our own health. And we have to take responsibility for our own health and we need to understand our mental health as well as much as our physical health. And what, you know, again, part of writing the book was to try and get people to understand a bit more about their mental health because most people get it with physical health. And I also say, you know, most people get it if you, you know, eat donuts and smoke cigarettes every day 
at some point, <laughs> at some point, there's going to be a problem the, for you. The utility Mind is going to wear off for that. Exactly right. <laughs> so at some point, and so we, we get that. We get the things. We're, we're taught more about what we need to do to look after our physical health. We're not taught as well about what to look after our mental health. And so the first part is saying we have to understand that and own it. But in owning it, it's not a you need to do this for me mm. because if we're in that mindset, then we're placing our own health in someone else's hands. And I, like I go, okay. don't yeah. do that. I don't even do that. It's, it's I'm choosing, I'm choosing these things. I'm responsible and I'm going to adjust what I'm doing to help it work for me. So there's kind of that bit of saying, you've got to understand it and own, own your own health and don't ask anyone else to do it for you. It's, it's like with physical exercise, etc. <laughs> you can't have someone, you need to make sure that I run every day and you go, well, yeah. actually, no, that's not my responsibility. I always say I can't motivate someone else to go hit the gym and go train. You have to have that motivation built internal. So I, I agree with you 100% on that. Love it. So exactly the same with mental health. That's going to happen. Now, then when you then talk about it from an employer perspective, then my challenge to employers is going, you can't ignore how the workplace impacts people's mental health. And so as an employer, mm. you need to understand the things you do that actually contribute to either building up people's mental health or in fact, destroying it or, you know, impacting it negatively. And so again, you can't sit back and, and I say to employers, you know, you can't sit back and go, oh, well, I'll ask the employers and what do they want and I'll do what they want. Cause you're going to go, well, no, that doesn't work either. You need to take responsibility as a leader. Um, and in fact, again, when go, go back to the book, but in the book, um, there, there is advice talking about it in these layers of, of what do you do as a leader in an organization for yourself? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, how do you look after yourself? And then how do you have better conversations one-on-one with people that build up people's mental health? And then how do you look at the team or the organization and saying, what are you choosing to do and how you're designing work and the workplace? which helps to improve people's mental health. It's not, it's not going to solve everything. It, it's the same. If I look at the physical health side of things, I go from an employer perspective, you're going, you're not responsible for someone's physical health. However, if you are asking them to work, you know, 20 hours a day, right. <laughs> seven days a week, that's going to impact their health because they're not going to be able to sleep and they're not going to be able to health eat. Health, performance, to- all, all, all of that, right? I mean, there, there, is a, there is a, a domino effect to those types of things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I brought that up specifically, and I do see the comments in, in the uh, coming up from the community, and I will get to those in just a second. But, but I was leading you kind of in the direction, yet yeah, referring more to the book, and then also specifically to this mental health pie, right? The, the mental health pie ingredients that you referenced with the book. And, and if you could talk a little bit about how this fits again, in terms of how the employee, again, that's why I started with the employee themselves can take the ownership for their own mental health and then how they can uh, translate that out to their colleagues, to their employers as well. So if you could talk a little bit about this concept of the mental health pie and the, and the ingredients that you have within this. Absolutely. So, um, and you said again, I was going there and then read the book because it's got a bit more detail in it. <laughs> but let me, so the basics um, around this and the reason why I think about mental health pie, and in fact, I referenced in the book, I had gone to see a musical um, around the time that I was writing this, I'd gone to see the musical Waitress and I don't know whether anyone's seen that, but they talk about pies in there. And when I'm talking about what is it that's going to be the best model? And I'm like, oh, it's a pie. It's a pie. <laughs> like the fantastic way of describing it. 
because what you want to think about with a pie is that it needs certain ingredients otherwise it's not a pie and so that's kind of the first thing about saying you can't just do one thing and you go that's my one thing and i've got my mental health sorted mm. you're going there's a combination of ingredients that that make it work that call it a pie but everyone likes different flavors and so there's a there's a basic kind of ingredient concept but then you want to influence and change that a little bit based on what it is that works for you then of course you eat the pie so you need to actually make the pie again. So you've got to kind of keep <laughs> renewing it. And at some points in time, you know, some people can eat one flavor pie for a long period of time and it's great, but there's a point for all of us, could be short or long-term in terms of which we get bored of the flavor. The flavor's not quite doing it for us. We still need the pie, so we still need the food, but we need to change it up a bit. So I kind of, I want to give that as a um, premise to begin with, because the first rule in terms of looking after people's mental health is that I can, whilst I can give you some science behind why we need certain parts of the pie, mm. what works for you is going to be different to what works for me. So Very true. I, I like can sit that. and yeah. go, here's some ideas, but but that doesn't mean that specifically that'll work for you. So if we if we go around, so I start on that top left, connecting to self. Connecting to self is actually being all aware about the animal brain. So it's it's being able to kind of connect in and go, what for a what are my basic needs? And so it's that recognition of saying, am I sleeping? Am I eating? Am I drinking? Like, am I looking after my physical health? Because physical and mental health are so interconnected, it's not funny. Um, but also, how am I tuning into where I'm at at any point in time? Mm. So what are my emotions doing? What's my energy level doing? Am I feeling safe? Or am I feeling threatened? Because that's that like connecting into going, is there too much cortisol running through this animal brain of mine? And again, remember the cortisol gets triggered because we see uncertainty, it's difference. We feel like we don't belong. That's, that's where that connects in. So if we go around to connecting to others, so there are these three really interesting, um, say, let's call them chemicals, because I think it's easy to think about chemicals in the brain. There's these three chemicals that our animal brain releases that helps to counteract that helps to counteract when we're not feeling great when we're feeling threatened when we're feeling stressed by what's going on the first of them is oxytocin and that is about feeling like we belong and so the next ingredient of the pie after we've connected to self and we're aware of our own self is to connect to others because we all need our tribe we all need that place where we go oh, i feel safe oh, i feel like i belong and I mean, you start talking about workplace as well as home, we do need that at work. Like that's kind of a critical thing that businesses need to grapple with is that you have to have a tribe at work. It can't be just at home. Right. So there are people that you feel like I belong with. I've got something in common with. I can, you know, talk about laugh with, you know, share pain with what about, um, you know, whatever it might be. It's people, my people. If I go around then, in fact, I'm going to go across diagonally then to contribution because then contribution is about um, eliciting a, um, a chemical called serotonin. So if, in fact, if I go back to Neolithic time, because that's kind of a good way of describing it about going, if I'm, if I'm on my own in a wild, you know, out in the wild, it's pretty scary. If I've got a group, then I feel more comfortable and safe with that group. If I've got a specific role to play in that group and that role is valued, then actually that makes me feel even safer and better. So if I'm the one that's really good at lighting a fire or I'm the one that's really good at tracking those, you know, okay. the, the wild bear's footprints and finding them or finding the berries that go really well, you know, whatever it might be, if I have a role, 
and that role is valued, then that makes me feel safer because I get serotonin hits that says, you've got some good skill here. You're valued, you're contributing, this is awesome. So we need to feel that. And then the last one is curiosity because remember talking about our brain is wired for pattern and keeps looking out for pattern in the world. Um, this is food for the learning patterns, learning, looking at stuff and working out stuff is food for the brain. Hmm. If we're just sort of stuck in our nothing's changing and what have you, then actually it's not good for the brain. In fact, there's all sorts of research talking about um, trying you know, how do we help to prevent things um, like dementia and, and the importance of even of the simplest things like crosswords of how do you keep getting your brain working and learning and thinking we need curiosity. Okay. And the interesting thing within that is that that's a chemical called dopamine that we get there when we feel great because we've gone, Aha, I've achieved this, I've learned this, and my brain's going, that's awesome. And now dopamine gets a bad rap because it's often connected with addiction, particularly in terms of things like, you know, the social media of going, I've got to keep going, how many likes can I get right, or gambling? Right. So dopamine is, can be overplayed if it's caught up in the wrong things, but it is actually an important part if we're consciously working out how do I stay curious and learn. So essentially, the pie when we're looking about everyone's mental health saying you've got to look after all of these four things you've got to work out how do you connect yourself and again the book gives you some tips and tricks on some of those exercises that you can do to help learn a bit more about what's going on for you then connecting to others how do i find my tribe how do i contribute to that tribe and how do i stay curious and if i've got that combination in my pie i've got the best bet of looking after my mental health it's almost like you guys were reading my show notes because you, you touched on some things that I was going to ask. So I, I'm not even going to look over here at my notes because talking about the social media aspect and the, the, I consider it a detriment to our youth. Well, almost to the entire society. Cause again, that, that swipe and swipe left, swipe right, you know, three seconds and I have your attention span. And after that, I can't, uh, maybe I'll go into that a little bit later, but the interesting point that you mentioned, that I want to make sure that isn't overlooked the fact that, you consume the pie once, but then you, I guess you, you said you bake another one and you continue to evolve. You continue to digest. You continue to make contributions. You continue to be curious. You continue to make sure that you're right. You, you go through all of these things more than once and you evolve into, that's how you would evolve into a healthy mental state being by not just doing it once, not just getting things done one time, not just, uh, taking stuff off of your list one time, but actually continuing consciously to go through these steps, adding these ingredients, adding these particular aspects to your life to make sure that you are a whole self-sufficient uh, member of society, Human right? You can't, you can't just do this one time. I, I like that concept because again, you, you a lot of other, cannot do it yeah, a lot of other frameworks and philosophies will say, you know, go out there, get this, do this, get this done, right? But no real... Uh, subsequent types of activities, no uh, types of things in terms of longevity. And like we said at the beginning, scalable, right? So allowing you to and do this on, from a long-term perspective. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same as saying, you know, I, if you have one day where, or you go on a retreat and you go, look at that, I've eaten brilliantly for a week and right. I've done some great exercise and, and yoga and, and I come out going, I feel fantastic. And you're going, that's great. For that week. For that week, you know. <laughs> but if you go back to donuts, you know, and if you do it two weeks sleeping. before Thanksgiving, and then Thanksgiving comes, and well, you know, that's another conversation. <laughs> Get Genevieve's book. Um, yeah. 
let, let me ask you this, and, and we're going to bring this. Well, I'll actually bring this up in terms of a question here. Um, Jim, I, I love you here. Is this part of the, the larger book tour? Yes, this is, this, is, this is part of her larger book tour, and you can find her book at any major retailer. I actually put the link in the description, and I've pinned it in the comments of where you can actually uh, get her book as well. So it's available on her website and also on Amazon. But uh, yes. I was going to say, Amazon, you get to Amazon, um, you'll get faster probably. Well, I can say I have to post it from Australia if it's by my website. But it is, um, Jim, it's on Audible and um, Kindle as well as paperback. Oh, yes. I, listen, I, I, um, I get credits for Audible. And uh, it is in my list to add to my Audible subscription when I, my next credits roll around on the 27th. So you're, you're, on, the, you're on my list, right? I'm and on my on list. The, <laughs> on the 27th, when I get my next monthly credit from, from Audible, I'll be downloading well, it. And you'll, you'll get to hear me read it too, too James. It's me, it's me talking. So there that's, you go. See, that's even better. Because, so like my David Goggins books, right? The fact that he's actually in the audiobook and talking about it, it's, it's always better to hear the, the voice and the inflection and, and from the author themselves. So, so I love that. So there you go, folks. Go get the book from Amazon. The link is in the comments and the link is in the description as well. Um, Cheryl is here and she's asked the question. She says, in the book excerpt, you say a percentage of depression up with Australian people was a conclusion based on the pandemic aftermath and i think we kind of touched on that as well but i wanted to be cognizant of the question in the community and yeah no answer. well so the answer actually shows no because i actually wrote the book pre-pandemic um and so we've seen worse things since COVID has come through mm. but this was one of these things where i was watching the world pre-COVID and going there's this tsunami coming that the way that our world is operating um we're going to be hit by these waves and of course i hadn't seen COVID, COVID around the corner and i ended up publishing the book in the first year of COVID. but it had already been written just before COVID started in fact i questioned whether i'd actually publish it because i thought oh everyone's now talking about it and my sister kicked me up the backside and said get that book out you've got that <laughs> you've still got to get that out but um it's we have there's no doubt that what you've then seen over those years of COVID is that then we've continued to worsen. And then you add on to that, there's so many other things in the world that's causing uncertainty. And this is part of the challenge, essentially, our brains need certainty and connection to actually feel okay. The, um, and so what's happening, not just with COVID, but with things like wars, the um, climate change uncertainty, what's going on with regards to, um, I'm going to say um, polarizing views on things wherever it might be. So certainly from Australia, watching all means Australia's got a whole range of challenges as well. But from watching America, seeing some of the things from a racial tension perspective, some of those things where things are quite polarized, mm -hmm. that's actually also contributing to how our brains are feeling and that uncertainty um, and loss of connection. Um, or, or kind of feeling like we're being attacked. So it's like I've got to stick with my tribe because I'm being attacked. But actually the challenge for us is to try and understand that our tribe is a human race. And that's, that's oh, the bigger that. challenge that, that oh, we need to, to get to. There it is right there. Mr. Worthy, you joined just in time because Genevieve just dropped in gems right here talking about mental health, mental awareness, how to deal from a professional and a personal perspective. So glad you were here, sir. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the questions from the, from the community because they're more important than anything that I have to ask. Mr. Nativity here is saying recommendations for working 
around cognitive disabilities, right? Combat wounded from TBI trying to remain competitive and self-doubt is his biggest obstacle. Your, your thoughts and, and how to address that niche of society, right? Who, who have external, internal forces affecting them from being able to, I don't, I don't even want to say be successful, but uh, just maybe flourish, right? In, in a way that they want to. So um, they're definitely successful, but just being able to flourish in a way that they want to after going through particular traumas of things of that nature, TBI, PTSD, combat veterans, things of that nature. Your, your thoughts on that? So I, I perhaps start off with saying um, each, there's a level of saying individually, there's certain circumstances. So you kind of want to make sure that you've got the right, I'm going to say support crew mm. to actually help to guide some of those sorts of things. Um, and I think if I saw right at the last bit of that, that might have been one of the challenges at the bottom was saying that I, yeah, it's the challenge of doubting myself. Self-doubt is my biggest obstacle. Yeah. So um, the it, so actually, David, one of the really interesting things is that whilst people won't always articulate it, certainly some of the, well, the research I've read, but some of the experiences I've had with group conversation exploring this is self-doubt is one of the most common things for everyone actually that that holds us back in various ways and so um that becomes a challenge for anyone but it's more amplified when people have particular other challenges from a said from a cognitive perspective so i think the couple of things that i would say with that um the first one in connecting to self is is to be able to sit back a bit and look at what are the best types of roles that I could play that are actually true to who I want to be. And I often um, get people to kind of get people to draw the three circles of what am I good at? What do I love doing? And um, what's important to me? And how do I create a bit of that and help to create what that intersection is in the middle of those three becomes your self-selection criteria for any job so that you're clear, you're not choosing a job because this is what people expect me to do, or this is a career advancement and um, my challenge to people is saying don't have org chart envy so don't look for title but look for roles that sing to your heart that that actually make a difference there mm. as part of that invariably in that selection criteria needs to be the tribe of the workplace so looking at the culture that you're in within the workplace is a really really important thing and again this comes to when we talk about then business leaders saying if you're leading these organizations and you want to get some of the best talent out there you need to create that tribe you need to create that safe space that people want to be part of and the other part and i do go into it in a bit of detail in the book is talking about who's on your board and hmm. this idea of saying we are the ceos of our own lives and so if you know in an organization if you're a good servant i go ceo i know it's like evp in in um i think in us terms more i think is used than ceo but um you know if i'm sitting at the top of an organization and i'm running an organization any good ceo or executive at the top has a good board around them now in the context of a business that's you know you have financial skills and legal skills and risk management skills and people skills so you've got different people that you reach out to to get different advice on things and what you want to then be able to do um with regards to your personal life is go well i'm the ceo of my own life i'm responsible for that and so who else do I get around me that can actually help me be my best? And again, you come back to tribal, we all need that. When you've got some cognitive challenges, you want to think clearly about the people that add the best value in those. 
But one of those people that I talk about is the strength. We need people who can um, stop and remind us of the good things in us, the good skills, the things that, that we are making a difference with so that it helps us to overcome the challenge of saying we've all got flaws, we've got different areas that we are challenged on, but having that, that, those people around you that go, hey, you're awesome and let me remind you of your awesomeness and the skills that you bring to the table is a really important part of um, challenging that self-doubt. Now, ho hopefully that gives enough an answer that there's, I mean, that's a whole, said that we can go into all sorts of detail yeah. there, but hopefully that gives you a bit there, David. No, I mean, I mean that, that's a good good start and I think a good foundation. And I think uh, hopefully, uh, Mr. Intividad, if, if that helps, and you know, I'll put the link up to the book as well, and we can actually have a, a subsequent session with uh, Genevieve if necessary. But, you know, th those are the kinds of things, right? Just having the, those support groups, have, having those tribes, as, as you, I like that word, the tribe, right? Ha having those, those councils, I call them my inner circle, right? Ha having those yeah. folks that... We'll tell you when you're wrong. We'll tell you when you're right. But we'll 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 be objective and subjective at, at times when necessary. Who, Steve Worthy, who's in the comments? I can call him at two o'clock in the morning, and he can yell at me and he can scream at me. But we we can hash things out, and we can have those types <laughs> of personal and professional conversations. And I think not shying away from the need for community, for a tribe, for support systems uh, is is something that we need to be cognizant of. So almost back to who owns owns the piece, right? And I think the individual, so not just on the professional side, but on the personal side, owns that outward reach because I can't say, I don't know how you're feeling, Genevieve, right? I, I don't know what's going on inside you all, all the time, but I can be receptive when you do reach out and there's no stigma. There should be no stigma. There should be no shame and reaching out, picking up that phone, sending me a chat message or whatever, when there is a, a need for you to connect with that tribe or that community, that inner circle kind of thing. That's my summarizing. I, you know, again, I'm an old guy. I, I don't know these. I'm, I, that's why you're here. No, no, you're James, the expert. Remember, you're not old. You're not old, remember? Oh, that's it's right. We're seasoned. That's right. We, we talked yeah. about that before. We, uh, you know, there, there we go. We're, we're seasoned. Uh, so, but, it, but it, yeah, that, that, like we're not, we're not born to be alone. Like we're, we need... We, we are wired to be with people and we have to recognize that everyone has a contribution to us. You know, it's that was it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. Um, I'm not sure where that, you know, who said that originally, but um, but it's actually it takes a village to um, to live a healthy life. That, that, that is true. Can't we cannot do it. Man, we can we can go on and talk about that for a long time as well. Right. Again, there's no need in being so proud that you have to do everything yourself because you, you, you won't succeed. You, you just, you just really won't succeed. If, if you want to look at folks who have whatever your definition of success is from a financial perspective, whatever the case may be, they've all done it together with someone else. They've had co-owners, co-founders, uh, colleagues, other folks within the C-suite. No one has done anything successful, professional and or personally alone. You, you really do need that tribe community inner circle things of that nature um and and i can i just say too that tribe can shift over time a bit as well mm, so you yeah. um you know it's an important thing from a um from a what do i need particularly in the work context what do i need to bring my best to work and as you grow as you learn about yourself as you um experience different things 
you might find that you need some other different people around you to help to to help support you in that space. So don't kind of go, I've got my tribe, that's it, don't move. Yes. <laughs> Allow that to grow and flourish as well. And and these concepts are obviously talked about within the book as well, right? Again, maintaining that tribe, identifying that tribe. And I, I like the concept that you just mentioned right there. There is a time where we may have to cut somebody off, right? The, the, the old guys, or you know, the old crew that you grew up with and went to high school and went to college with, yeah, that was good for a season, maybe not for this season. And, and yeah. again, there should be no shame. There should be no hesitation in evolving. If those others that were around you at a particular season within your life aren't on the same trajectory as you, it really is okay. Uh, I'm living through this myself right now. So again, I'm pointing one finger out at you and three fingers at, at me saying, you know, it it's really <laughs> is okay to evolve and move on. It's, it's not a, a slight on anyone. Again, it's just different seasons and we, we all have to evolve in our own space and our own, uh, timeframe. Um, there you go. Absolutely. I got, got, got me a little, little, little lesson there as well for myself. So selfishly, this is all about me, you guys. I'm sorry. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> If I can help one person, that's all right. So I've helped you, James. All good. And listen, one, one of my friends says, reach one, teach one, right? So, and, and that, that's enough for, for me right there. Again, I want to be cognizant of the community because their their questions and their inquiries are more important than, than mine by, by all means. Cheryl is asking again, the stigma of mental health issues, can it cause judgmental feelings with a people getting help or discussing with management? So ha having that, you know, stigma of, you know, maybe something's different with the way I operate, the way I need to operate at work. What are some, so, some best practices of, of going and talking to leadership and management about how I need to have some accommodations, I guess? Now, so I, I, this is definitely where I go, please get the book because because I can't do justice fully to it. But if I go at a simple way, so is there a risk of a stigma being attached to it when you go and talk to management? There absolutely is that risk. Hmm. If the management are not actually aware and thinking about what it is that we need to do more broadly within the organization so um my challenge and again that you know when i wrote the book i was wanting to target people who are in leadership roles to go read this and mm -hmm. think about it not just for yourself but your own organization because one of the most um i guess one of the first things that i start off with is get a common language and if you get a common language in the workplace that's actually what helps to take the stigma away so that there's that base part and and so in the book i go here's some ideas about how you can talk about mental health so that everyone recognizes actually we're all vulnerable so that's kind of point number one we are all vulnerable you know so if you think about physical health and I, i'm talking the book about this continuum from you know um green to yellow to orange to red in our physical health, there are some things that people are born with that give them physical limitations. Mm. There are some things that people have, have genetics with that mean that they've got an increased disposition for physical problems. And there are some things that happen to people that traumatically mean that they land in this space of really struggling physically. But most of the reason why we end up struggling physically is because of our lifestyle choices day to day that impact mm. on our physical health. It is exactly the same with our mental health. And so there are absolutely some people who are born with problems right from the word go. There are people who have a genetic predisposition to certain things that means an event happens and it triggers something. And we have people you know, um, exposed to significant traumatic events that causes people to suddenly really struggle mentally. But most of what lands people in the red in really struggling 
and it's the most common things around anxiety and depression are actually associated with what our choices are day to day and how we choose to live. And so being able to help in an organisation to get people to understand everyone is vulnerable helps, first of all, to take away some of the stigma. And the second one is finding a language. And I mean, in, in the book, I talk about that continuum because it's easy to be able to go, hey, hey, James, I'm having a bit of a yellow day today. Um, I just need a bit of help. Makes it easier than saying, James, my depression isn't well under control today. And mm. um, I'm, you know, like it, it creates an easy language and if everyone understands that you go, oh, you're having a yellow day today, no problems, let me change a couple of things. Whereas you're going, I'm sliding into orange, then you're going, okay, hang on a minute, what help do you need? Let's have a look that. at what else we do, yeah. you know. So um, so common common understanding of our all of our vulnerability and to a common language makes a huge difference in a workplace to help to remove that stigma. I love that because that that's actually that next layer down of kind of how we started before we went live when I asked, how are you doing today? Right. And and then if you just say, I'm okay, but I, if someone can sense that you're probably not doing okay, having that common language within the organization, again, that it's sponsored and that, that it's known across the, the, the organization, I'm having a yellow day, I'm having an orange day, wh whatever the, the marker is for your particular company, that really sets the standard for, okay, so Genevieve is having this type of day. Th these are the resources that she, she needs. This is how we can step back lean in, whatever the case. But again, if I just, if you, I just ask you how you're doing today and you say, I'm doing okay. And I sense that it's not right. Uh, well, and without me being, um, you know, evasive and prying and, and say, no, tell, tell the truth, you know, t tell me how, how are you really doing? I, I like the fact of having that common language within the organization. But again, that is that top down that, that has to come and be owned and sponsored. I think from leadership as well, because the, the individual employees are going to buy it. Right. In anything that's, that's built for their betterment and for their well-being, I think the employees are always going to buy in. But if, if the leadership, if the supervisors, the managers, the whomever, the executives don't buy into that, then it's not going to it's not going to go anywhere. So all the leaders out there, everyone on LinkedIn watching this in the business world, make sure you get Genevieve's book. <laughs> the, the link, see, we'll, we'll pitch for, so go, for the book. Go on there. Amazon because we want to promote it and, you know, get it, get it That's going. True. That's true. It's all, it's all about Amazon. You know, we want, want to get it off of Amazon <laughs> so you can get it tomorrow instead of the yeah. two-week shipment from Australia. From uh, Australia. Those, those kinds of things. Um, and it's cheaper too. <laughs> you get what you pay for though. Uh, uh, there you go. You get what you pay for. Well, I know it's the same book. It's just a different uh, distribution. Uh, work with me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, work with me to work with you. On Sorry, James. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Worthy is asking a question. With so many people concerned about AI replacing them, how can someone overcome these fears and use AI to leverage their performance? It's almost a, it's almost a different conversation, but let, let me add on to this, Steve, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to interject and ad lib. How do we maintain our positive mental state within the workplace, knowing that there may be external forces that could be knocking on our door that could replace us, right? The pervasiveness of AI is not going away, right? It, it, it's here, it's been here, but now it's here, now it's commonplace, and now now folks are seeing it on the news and they're, they're, they're reading about it in the papers, whatever the case may be, and they're, and they're intimidated by it. How does one stay locked in and focused? How does one stay productive 
mentally, physically, mm. and all the abilities mm. at work with we, these ro robots and these algorithms possibly we, taking over. Yeah. We, we could, we could be here for the whole Let's day. Go. Listen, well, you know what? I got another session in about an hour and a half, but you know, we, we can, we can reschedule and we can bring you into the community and we can, we can talk uh, more one-on-one. -on -one. So let, let me just give a, um, just give a couple of sort of quick things within that. Um, because in fact, funnily enough, in my current role with the stuff I'm doing, I'm actually implementing AI into the business that, um, that I'm supporting as well. So I, I'd say a couple of things. I want to talk specifically actually just in that reference to AI and the broader piece around change, because the interesting thing is that absolutely the world is changing and the rate at which things will change from a technology point of view is going to blow us away. So, you know, what in 10 years time, we're going to look back at what we were doing and how we were operating now and laugh and go, I can't believe that we were, you know, doing this. I can't believe we used paper. It's like we laugh and go, I can't believe people used chalkboards or slates back in the day and, and now we're in a different world. So things are rapidly changing. Um, as, as I read stuff around the impact of AI and absolutely some jobs will change, but actually nothing takes away from... Um, what is really important and that what AI can't do is about human connection. And so we might be able to go, AI can help us to give some incredible insights, but actually what we need then is the skill set to say, how do we take that and um, get people inspired and excited to do things? And so our ability to connect with people and our ability to lead change becomes really, really, really important. Um, in getting best results from things like AI. So there's kind of that, there's a kind of part answer to that on AI. The other part for me, um, James, to your broader question, that there is absolutely constant change mm. and how do we manage the things that are constantly changing? It keeps coming back to tribe. So it's how do we stay, if I feel safe because I feel like I belong with a team and I'm contributing to a team, collectively as a team, we can then be curious about what's happening out there in the world and what are the mm. things that are impacting on us and how do we get excited in that curiosity going, oh, this is interesting. We've just been faced with this next mountain. As a collective, how do we look at each other and go, right, team, how do we, how do we want to yeah. deal with this now? What do we want to yeah. do? But the connection between each other and that safety of going, I play a role in this team, we've got to get that in order to be able to get excited and curious about the changes that are happening around us. Excited, curious, pieces of the pie, which we continue to consume as we continue to evolve. Just bringing it all together. I, I, I love that love piece. Um, Genevieve, what's, what's next, right? I mean, you, you've got the book out and hopefully it, it's having some positive impact. I, I know it's had a uh, positive impact on my community here because I'm, I'm looking, I'm getting some back channel messages as well. Folks are saying that, that they enjoy this show and they love the, the comments here. Um, where can folks continue to stay in touch with you? Yeah, I've got your website listed below you there, the mentallyatwork.com.au. But talk to us a little bit about how folks can learn more about what you're doing uh, and, and the book that you're uh, talking about right now and anything else that you may got going in the near future. Um, so this is perhaps where my, you know, the, the, my publicist might, you know, hit me across the wrist and going, Genevieve, you need to do more. <laughs> what are you doing? So I'd go, the starting point is the book. Have a read of the book. Um, I do have, um, I'm on Instagram as Mentally at Work. So um, happy for you to follow me on Mentally at Work. I'm not, I've got to get better at actually putting out things as I sort of try and periodically put something out there from a reflection point of view on different things to keep people thinking about stuff. Um, and I am doing so via my website. I am at times doing um, 
you know, paid speaking events or paid facilitation type things. So um, you can reach out to me. I, I'm juggling that with with a normal um, executive job as well. But um, but there are uh, for me, it's actually having these sorts of conversations, James, that are really really important to go read the book, think about it. How do we digest that? What are the things that we can practically do now to make a difference? Um, I am planning to write another book, um, but that might take a couple of years before it gets out. Um, which is which is going a little bit deeper into part of uh, one of the chapters within the book on some of the common challenges in the workplace and helping leaders to think about this from a mental health perspective. But at the moment, really, the main aim is to try and get the word out around there's these practical things we can all do. And if we can start understanding that common language and do some of those practical things, collectively, we can actually make a difference. And so my ambition is saying, how can we collectively reverse the trend on mental illness in the developed world? But we can only do that if we understand some of these basics together. Mm, I love that. I love that. One final question that I want to ask, because we, we've talked on this topic and this statement for a while today, and it's, you mentioned tribe, team, how important is being in person versus remote these days, right? And and oh, again, that, I, I know, again, we, we can, you know, take, yeah. kick your shoes off, pour <laughs> another cup of key, uh, right? We, we, we can go for a while with that, but... I mean, that, that really kind of is at the heart of it, right? Because we started on that, being remote, being at home, not being around the community, around the tribe, around those inner circle. I mean, that really is, that can be detrimental to a high majority of folks when for decades we've, we've been that. We've been in the office. We've been at the coffee shop. We, right, we, we've done those kinds of collaborative activities. And now it's all Zoom and Teams and WebEx and whatever the case yeah. may be. Your, your thoughts on what, what uh, Sheryl was saying. So I actually think nothing, nothing beats in person. Nothing beats in person. No matter how good technology gets, no matter how much we feel with some <laughs> technology, it's like people are literally in the room. We are physical human beings and nothing beats that physical connection. That's good. Um, so I, I'd encourage workplaces to think about how can you create at least, and I'd go create hybrid, so create the ability to go, I do want some flex. I do want to be able to be home by a certain time to pick kids up or, um, you know, for me, typically Mondays I work from home and I love the fact that on a Monday at lunchtime I can actually put a slow-cooked meal on for dinner and it's ready for dinner at a good yeah. time for the family um, and I can smell, this, you know, the afternoon aroma <laughs> going through. I love it. But um, we all have these things. So I think finding trying to find the balance between the two is really important and then there's a whole other, yes, there's a whole other chapter or conversation we could have around when we are remote because the reality is, and, and I think even like pre-COVID, I was always running teams of teams across Australia. So I was used to the fact that I wouldn't see my team all the time. Um, so there was still at least, you know, there were times when you go, I'm making the effort to go and see them and connect with them. But then it's also, what else do you do to create rituals of connection? So that's the other mm. piece of saying, even if you are virtual, what are the rituals of connection that really help you feel like you belong? Um, but the two things, the two practical things I would say, well, one practical, one kind of perhaps a bit harder, the, the harder bit is saying, I will still feel connected to you in a workplace, even if I'm remote, if I believe in the cause for what I'm doing. So if I have a sense of purpose and really find meaning in the work that I do, I can still feel a level of connection to the bigger piece of what the organisation's doing, even though I'm remote. So that's number one. So it's how do you help people to get meaning? And the second one is actually around um, this is a practical one, find out what you have in common with that person that has nothing to do with work. And remember that 
and and weave mm. that into conversation. So so I am, uh, thanks to my son, a mad Star Wars and Marvel fan. And so I love the fact love that when, you know, a new Mandalorian comes out, I have people going, oh, new Mandalorian's out. So you, you find those little things that you can have a That's bit of a cool. laugh about and a conversation with. They're, they're little, but they make a difference to go, my brain then registers, I'm part of the tribe with you because you're a Star Wars fan or you like cooking like I do or you like cats like I do, um, whatever it might be our brain recognizes that man I, I love that that that's that's perfect right there Ho hopefully Shirley I, I saw her comment there she said that feedback exactly what she was looking for and that that just really hits home again finding uh things outside of the the business space to, to try to connect with folks and kind of an icebreaker so so that's that's huge love that Genevieve, I wish you nothing but the success in on this book um on the 27th when I get my audio book I'll ping you and let you know because I'll, I'll start reading it when i'm at the gym i don't listen to music in my airpods i, I actually have audiobooks going so you'll be i'll be underneath the squat where i listening to you so hopefully uh, there's a successful story there um <laughs> well i look forward to hearing your aha moments james that that it's actually you know part of what can help with that sort of stuff love um ping me like on instagram yeah. um, potentially is probably the easiest way but let tell me your aha moments when you read stuff i, I love okay. i sometimes get pictures that people send me the book with all of their sticky notes stuck through them of all the things that have gone oh i've got to do this and this and this and this and this that's the i go i'm making that i'm helping people if i can i can see those sorts of things so but hopefully today has been um giving people a few uh, you know practical ideas and thoughts as it is Definitely. Listen, folks are saying they're ordering the book. I will do that. You've given me action items. So, so now, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I will put the link to all of your social locations, the Instagram and your and your website as well, because I've only got right now the link to the book itself uh, within the and description. And I am on LinkedIn as well, actually. So, oh, awesome. Um, okay. Well, ho hopefully so, that, so, because we're, we're streaming the LinkedIn right now. Hopefully uh, your community is seeing the session as well. Um, this, this has been really cool. Right. A lot, lot of eye opening uh, statements and, uh, and the concepts. I, I love this aspect of the pie. I'm, I'm locked in on the pie and the fact that of not just consuming it once, but continuing to, to bake it and, and, and eat it again. That, that that's what I'm, I'm taking from this and the rituals of rituals of connection. Man, that's, come on. Come, <laughs> you, you might want to trademark that right there. That that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty darn good. Right. Oh, the quick, rituals. We're trademarking it, right? <laughs> My goodness, that's that's pretty good right there. Uh, Genevieve, you, you are amazing. I will reach back out to you in the future so we can have other conversations as well. And I know some of the community is going to want to reach out after they get the book, tag you in some posts and have some further conversations. So with that, I appreciate your time and have a great, great day. Thanks, James. And thanks everyone in the community for listening. Be well.